We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the sports. Oh, I said the welcome thing. We're trying not to say welcome because we say it every week. Yeah, we're trying to be different. Uh, hello. No. Hello, friends. Hey, Libby. Hey. <laughs> well, that was very sultry. <laughs> no, let me try again. Uh, we're just rolling on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. We're not cutting any of this, Georgie. So just. Just think of this as like a radio program. It's live. You can't change it. We are anything. live. Okay. We'll do it live. Roll on. Hey, guys. Welcome back no, to the sports. No. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that out. I thought you said you're changing it. You started so well. It was like, hey, hey, and now we're here. Can we start Back to again? Snow. No, <laughs> Georgie. <laughs> no, this we're not the starting real again. As well, so. This is the whole thing. <laughs> you guys set me up. <laughs> we will eventually get to sport, you guys. I promise. <laughs> we're just is, working on the intro. <laughs> this is why we are a sportish podcast. I like what you did there. Yeah, we're changing our tagline, everyone. Well, but what did Jason actually say that we? we we love sportish. No. <laughs> Chatting all things sportish. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. What he said. Yes. That's what we're here to do. Yeah. Do you we- want me to just do the podcast? <laughs> that might be helpful. <laughs> we're chatting all things sportish. And to kick off, I need to tell you about how I apparently don't know enough about basketball. Ah. Oh. So we find ourselves in yet another World Cup-ish scenario with this time basketball because like we have discussed in the past, the gods of sport didn't sit down and check their calendars and so everything is happening in the next three months. Literally everything is happening. It's wild. So we're rolling straight into the basketball world, men's basketball World Cup and the Boomers have recently become one of my favourite teams but not from a sporting perspective, more from just the epic coolness they displayed when they moved a friendly match they were doing, I think against Brazil, to make sure that it didn't clash with the Matildas. And then they released this reel where they were all getting off their team buses wearing Matildas shirts and just sort of like opening their jackets and showing their Matildas crest and like, the oh, so good. It made me unreasonably happy to see that. And now... I am like basketball. I didn't even know it's on. I'm, I'm now following you guys. I've al- I've always been a Patty Mills fan. Like he is just oh, he's just awesome, the best. So I tuned in on Sunday night to watch the Boomers, which is the name of the men's Australian team. Okay, Boomers. Boomers. I had to say that. Play Germany. Ooh, which was and it was a really tight match. And at the start of the match, the Aussies weren't going well, and their coach pulled them in and just said, "Not good enough." Gave them a very hard chat. And Paddy Mills then went out and scored the next 13 points. And I was like, yeah, yes, you're did. a boss. Yes, Paddy. Anyway, there was a part in the play where someone just made a weird lob at the hoop. And I was like, why would he do that? Like it was. I never- think that's a technical term. Yeah. A lob at the hoop. You, you can quote me. <laughs> and I said to Ben, why would they do that? Like he said, and Ben said, oh, the shot clock ran down. And I was like, oh, but is the shot, I thought the shot clock was on a player. Is it on the whole team? And it's he, on the whole team. And he looked at me and he was like, how do you not know that? Yeah, how do you not know that? Well, I just, I don't. <laughs> and this I is, mean, no judgment because no, we can't I know mean, everything about all sports. I feel particularly judged <laughs> and I felt particularly judged by Ben, my husband, and he just looked at me and was like, how do you not know that rule about basketball? 
And I said, I don't know. I just, I played a bit of basketball at school. I'm not a PE teacher. I'm not someone who's watched a lot of basketball. And he just looked at me and he's like, but didn't you play it on the video games? Like that's where you learn all the Correct. rules. Yeah. And I never played video games. <laughs> what? We weren't allowed. <laughs> Wait, what? But also... <laughs> Just because you, I wasn't allowed video games. I also wasn't allowed to watch Neighbours or Home and Away or like I was just. The Simpsons? No. What? I know. I mean, I know we're digressing from sporty up. I know. Poor Georgie. Was Poor the- Georgie. I was fine. Were you? No, we, weren't, we just weren't allowed to watch TV, but we were allowed to watch sport. <laughs> and not during the week. Oh. We were allowed to, but we were allowed to watch sport on the, wow. the Olympics were on. Or there was a mas- massive sporting event on, then that rule was put in the bin. Okay. And the sport and the TV would be on at all times. But okay. gro- when we were little, we just didn't – we didn't have video games and we didn't have TV during the week. Wow. Until Friday afternoon and then it was like, game on. But it made me think there's probably a whole generation, and I'm, I'm generalising here, of women who might not have played video games mm. and so sit down and start watching a sport and go, I don't understand. Well, that's me with netball. To be fair. Well, there you go. And and were there any netball video games? No. No. Well, there definitely wasn't any netball video games. No. But I do know that from playing video game basketball. So it did make me think, okay, I need to get video games in my kids' lives. But also if you are sitting there watching sport and you don't know the rules, don't be afraid to ask someone. Yeah, look, you might get judgmental, judgy judges. But if you do, just turn around and go, hey – I'm allowed to ask questions. I'm allowed to ask questions. I might not have played, you know, wasted my life playing video games all afternoon. <laughs> I'm Ali Bull and I'm an Olympic sprint kayaker as well as surf enthusiast. That works. And I just love sport because of the way it brings people together. And, um, yeah, you get to push your limits every day. I'm fun. In news just breaking, Lewis Rubialis's mother... Mm has gone on a hunger strike because she doesn't like how everyone is treating her son. <sighs> Deep breath, Lib. There's so much I wanted to say and I said it to Georgie before the podcast and I wasn't allowed to say any of it. <laughs> so instead I will say, okay, Mrs. Rubiales, okay, mm. you do that. Mm. For those who don't know, Luis Rubiales is the head of the Spanish Football Federation. And he's been in the news because? He kissed on the lips a player, her name is Jenny Hermoso, when he was congratulating her on the Spanish team's amazing World Cup victory. It was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever seen. Oh, so In front of everybody without consent, just gross. Her. Yeah. Gross. gross. He then came out and said, it was euphoric, it was in the moment, it was cultural. And Jenny turned around and said, no, it wasn't. It was none of those things. And he then came out and said, well, she's totally overreacting, I will not resign. And FIFA then said, "Uh, you're going to step down for 90 Mm. days while we do a full review. And, I mean, there's something if FIFA, who can be slightly problematic. (laughs) FIFA problematic? (laughs) FIFA tell you to step down, I think that's you've really crossed a line. Mm. What's interesting to me is there's something about football culture, women's football culture that clearly needs to change. This mm. isn't a new issue for Spain. They've had coaching issues 
and issues with their federation since 2015. They actually protested about their previous coach, who knows why, and that previous coach resigned. We did a conversation about that earlier yes. this year. We spoke about George Vilda. He's their current coach who's taken them to this World Cup victory. But that team doesn't have a great relationship with that mm. coach. And if you watch some of the how they were interacting, it was very much like we are a team and they are the coaching staff and we will not cross paths, mm. which I don't actually understand how that even works. Yeah. And reportedly the issues that the Spanish team had around Vilda were to do with his very controlling environment and his controlling nature. So there were reportedly issues where he didn't want the players to lock their doors at night so that he could come in and check that they were all present and accounted for. Oh, no, that's highly inappropriate. So it's interesting. When I mentioned that to someone, they said, oh, how controlling. And it was a male. And my response was, yes, that is controlling. It is all those things. But to me, that's also very threatening. Oh, unbelievably threatening. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine. He also liked to check their bags. Oh, nope. So so many lines crossed. Prior to the World Cup, Spain actually had 15 players put in a letter and say, we will not play under Vilda. Which is why the team was mostly young yes. women because they kind of were looking for an opportunity to make their national team debut. Right. So they actually refer to it as like a golden generation as not having played in this World Cup. It begs the question just how incredible the depth of talent is in Spain if they yeah. can lose the top half of their roster and still win. I was in awe. I am just quickly digressing to their unbelievable talents. Like <laughs> I'm not a soccer watcher, football, sorry, football watcher. I mean the way you've just described it doesn't indicate that at all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. Uh, no, but I watched for the very first time uh, a match which didn't involve any team that I supported, which was Great Britain and obviously Spain. And even I, as a layperson, could tell that Spain was just a cut above mm. everyone. And, you know, Britain obviously did an incredible job in and that. And also a very scary. They just have a vibe the of English. Like intensity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to cross them in any I know the English I think they're amazing. Me. I think they're amazing. <laughs> Please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> they're very, very good. Mary Earps was like they're excellent. Oh, her her save. Where is that the goalkeeper? Yeah. Oh, mate, if I came across her in a dark alley, I would run in the opposite direction. She, like she I, is fierce. I was bummed when she <laughs> saved that goal. Was, oh! So was she. Yeah, I know. She- <laughs> She had a few choice words as well. Mm. But um, like you could just say the the talent and the technique and the skill of the Spanish players was just unbelievable. Mm. Mm. So the other thing that is happening in football, and, and if you if you've only just tuned into soccer and football, you might not be aware of this. This sort of issue all happened in the US last year. Mm. So there was a whole report done in the US around three different coaches. Uh, involved in the the National Women's Soccer League and three coaches were found to be grossly inappropriate and the way that was handled by the team was found to be totally inadequate. It really demonstrated that the sophistication in terms of management and the safety for for players just wasn't there. there. Mm. So while we're looking at Spain and thinking, wow, Spain's got a problem, I think more broadly women's soccer is really – 
it now has the momentum, it now has the attention, it now has the funding and it's sad that it's taken that but that's, the, I guess, the reality of it, that all these issues are being uncovered and revealed. Hi, my name is Ash Werner and I'm an NRLW player for the Brisbane Broncos and an Australian bobsledder. And I love sport because I love learning new things and I love challenging myself and seeing what I can do. Georgie. Yes, Libby. We have such an exciting guest on our podcast today. Molly McGill is a 21-year-old born and bred Queenslander. She has been a junior world champion BMX rider who has actually moved into track cycling, which is like, I mean, that's a whole nother world. (laughs) (laughs) It is crazy sport in my opinion. You might remember like the Anamirses, like, you know, that's the kind of track cycling sport. But Molly has recently competed at the Oceana Championships. It was her Australian debut and she's currently training for the Olympics next year. So welcome Molly. It's so great to chat to you. And how, how does one transition from BMX riding into track cycling? Cause it seems quite like, although you're both on bikes, obviously, but yeah. like, it seems like quite a different discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I pretty much raced BMX my whole life. I started when I was six years old. Um, I went all the way through until I was about 17. Um, And I decided that I wanted to have a little bit of a break um, and see, you know, what else I could do kind of thing. And I actually, in between that period of BMX to cycling, I was playing rugby league. Um, My family are very, we're very big sport fans, very big NRL fans. And yeah, I loved the footy. And at this time, this was when the um, women's NRL was coming in and it was something that I was really passionate about and I loved and I didn't get the opportunity to play as much football as I liked growing up because I was so competitive in BMX. And um, yeah, it just didn't didn't allow, you know, with how much training I was doing for BMX and stuff like that. So yeah, I kind of got to a point where I was like, well, if this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to transition now and have a go. So um, yeah, I played rugby league for a few years and that was during the COVID period. So I was very up and down and there was lots of stop start throughout the seasons and stuff like that. And um, had actually a few little injuries just from being a cyclist and then coming over to such a high impact sport. You know, my body was kind of like, what the heck is going yeah. on? Big um, yeah, so I can I had, only imagine. <laughs> yeah, so I had a few ups and downs with injuries and stuff like that, but I ended up playing a full season out with the Burley Bears and I got to train and play with a lot of the you know, superstars in the NRLW at the moment. And that, so that was really great for me. And I really only transitioned into the cycling thing just because our season was kind of at the start of the year. It finished in about June and then we had a bit of a break. So it was like the off season and um, I was just watching the Olympics and, you know, it kind of, you know, got me a little bit motivated. And I was thinking, you know, that was always my dream growing up. It was always to, I was always going to go to the Olympics as a BMX racer. And it was always something that, that I wanted and obviously rugby league isn't an Olympic sport and I pretty much just spoke to my parents and said I think you know I really missed that I missed that that was what I wanted to do I wanted to go to the Olympics and I, we spoke about oh maybe you know should I go back to BMX or mm. what did I want to do kind of thing and my dad mentioned track cycling and he said what about track cycling and it was something that you know I had a few friends go in and come out of and have a go at but it was nothing that I ever really considered and then we had a look at it and, you know, went to a come and try day straight away. And I was like, no good. I was horrible. 
I was like, this is so hard. Like, what the heck? You know, I hadn't ridden a bike in three years, although I do know how to ride a bike. It was completely different. And I was almost like, I want to be good at this. Like, what the heck? What do you mean? I'm, I, you know, I can't do it. So, yeah, I think it was just that. And I, I really enjoyed it straight away. And I pretty much just was just going to like come and try days during the week on the weekends and stuff like that. And then, yeah, it was not only until we found a bit of a scouting thing that the um, that they were doing through the cycling where they were getting athletes from other sports um, to come and have a have a go and have a trial and they approached me and did some um, trials and stuff like that and they were really happy so, so it all just kind of fell into place. Hold on a second. So you've gone from like not having done track cycling to now yeah. being a you know a developing athlete hoping potentially to make the Olympics next year. What time frame has that been in? Um, so I've been riding for I think 19 months. So I, <sighs> I probably started with um, QAS in February last year. That is Molly, incredible. That is wild. Molly, I'm really interested to understand. You said you got on the track and you were like, I'm terrible at this. I'm hopeless. But yeah. you loved it. Tell me about that tension. Like even though it was really hard, you realised it was something you wanted to do. I think it was a bit of a love-hate relationship in a way. I was kind of like, you know, I was a bit deflated that I wasn't good at it, you know. And if, if you've ever been to the velodrome and you have a look at it and how steep it is from the top, you know, it's like it's so a little steep. bit daunting. Yeah, and, and and it was scary. I was yeah. scared like, you know, 18, 19 months ago I was scared to get on, on the velodrome. And, um, yeah, and I think there was some good coaches and that around that were really supportive and, you know, kind of thing. So it was, yeah, it was kind of just that I enjoyed it and I liked to go and it was, and yeah, it was probably that I wasn't great at it, that I was kind of like, you know, a bit stubborn and I was a bit like, well, I need to be good at this. Like, how can I not be good at this? You know, I know how to ride a bike. So I feel like that's where it, yeah, it kind of came from. And yeah. Because when you're doing BMX riding, you are going down some seriously st- steep terrain and navigating yeah. some pretty gnarly stuff. So yeah. for you to look, then look at a velodrome and go, no, no, yeah. this is very intimidating. That's so interesting to me. And also that you then went, okay, yes, this is hard and, yes, I'm not good at it but I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Georgie and I have been talking a lot about starting new sports and, like, what yep. that experience can be like whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult. And yeah. I just love that idea that, you know, you've kind of, you've obviously grown up in a sporty household. You know how to ride a bike. You've been very, you've been at, you know, some of the highest levels at, at that junior level yeah. in yeah. BMX, but you threw yourself into this new challenge. Mm-hmm. And I just love that, um, that mindset. Is that something that you think you kind of learned or is that just part of who you are? Yeah, I'm not too sure, to be honest. I think maybe maybe a little bit of both, I would say, maybe part of who I am and probably coming up through those junior years and being so successful as a BMX racer and then, you know, transitioning over, I think, yeah, that it was just something that I just wanted to be good at. But I, the fact that I really did enjoy it and I do still love it now and I go to training every day and I love to train and have a really good support crew around me and coaches and really good friends and stuff like that, I think it makes it a lot easier to, you know, want to be better and, yeah. Would you say that you've gone from being an individual athlete to now working in more of a team environment? Is that the difference between BMX and track? I mean, obviously, aside from the terrain. A little bit. I do have teammates and stuff like that we all train together and have a really good relationship and 
you know, we're all there for each other kind of thing. It's still very much individual um, as far as the racing and, and that goes, apart from obviously our team sprint is a team uh, event, but our other events are individual events. And I think that was something that I really missed as well when I went away to rugby league, that individual, you know, your, everything that, you know, all your results and that you, you can you can say that you, you've done it yourself and, you know, there was no one else there to to help you get to that point. So, yeah, that was something that I really, I really loved about BMX and the achievements as well and the way that you feel after a, a really big win and and that was, yeah, it was, it was completely different. That's what we talk about a lot. Yes. Because <laughs> Georgie comes from soft, she's a softball background. She, yeah, okay. just just so you know, Molly, she made Queensland when. <laughs> when how, I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she was excellent. Start somewhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So she's all about the team sports, whereas I'm yes, o- yeah. o- obviously a very individual <laughs> type athlete. I'm just like, yeah. I want to know that I've done the best that I yeah. can. And, you know, if I make a mistake, then that's on me and yeah. I know I can yeah. do it better. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting yes. difference yeah. in, in mentality. And I, I just think people are born that way. Like yeah, you're either an individual athlete or you're a team athlete. Yeah, we've we've even had some girls come into the cycling that have been in team sports their whole life and they're really like, you know, a bit unsure of it and it's Mm. a complete different environment for them. So, yeah, it's definitely a big difference between the two. Molly, what are you going to do between now and Paris? What what does your training program look like? So basically for the Australian women's team, we're in a bit of a rebuilding phase at the moment. So obviously with myself starting – quite late um, and only being in the sport 18, 19 months. Yeah, Paris is kind of not really on the cards right now. I feel like for us Australian girls, we were kind of our goal was was the Australian Com Games in Victoria. That yes. was where we were headed. You know, that was our, our goal um, as a group of girls. But, yeah, with that being up in the air now, we're a bit unsure. Um, we go down to Adelaide in a couple of weeks for a high performance camp there. And yeah, we'll probably sit down and have a conversation about what our, you know, next 12 months looks like and stuff like that as a team for the team sprint and those kind of things. But yeah, so Paris, it was, it's a little bit tough to, you know, accept that, you know, Paris probably won't happen at this point in time. Mm. And obviously there's good reasoning behind it and stuff like that, you know, as the team sprints in a rebuilding phase, it's what we need to do here and it's what's best for us to you know, build from the bottom up and, you know, set really good foundations. So do you find, because recently um, Carly McCulloch, who was a four-time world champ and a two-time Olympian, has been announced as a, a QAS coach. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, Australia has such a proud and and yeah. incredible history of achievement in the velodrome in in team sprints and sprints and all of those sorts of things. Yep. Do you feel like that history is helpful in terms of being able to draw off that knowledge and and you know experiences of of those athletes, or do you feel like it can be a bit of a pressure? Yeah, I think for me personally, I just look at it as a really great opportunity. You know, to have someone who's been there, done that, and knows what it takes, and is going to come in and support us. Um, it's really exciting. I think more than anything, she's she's been over in Great Britain since she retired, and she's been coaching the girls over there, and they're going awesome. Like they're riding really well. They just competed at the World Championships and have got some really good outcomes. So it's really exciting to have her come back home mm. and um, yeah, put that time and effort into us. I'm I'm really excited for it, and yeah, I think more than anything, it'll be it'll be really good for us. 
Molly, just for people who aren't across cycling, is Australian cycling in a rebuilding stage because you've had a whole lot of athletes retire or exit? What 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 has put us into this rebuilding phase? Yeah, I think for the women, uh, a little bit more so. Um, obviously, after Carly retired and stuff like that, and um, the boys, obviously, they're going great at the moment. They just got silver at the World Championships in the team sprint, and we got a couple individual medals and stuff like that. The boys are riding really well. They were World Champions last year, so they'll be heading off to Paris. But, yeah, more so for the women, it is just that. We probably just had a little bit of a a lull in, you know, athletes coming through and that, and that was where that whole scouting opportunity from different sports came came into the program, um, trying to look for girls. And so I was myself and there was a couple of other girls from Western Australia and um, stuff like that. So, and we're all just kind of digging in deep and just doing what we need to do now. And yeah, hopefully once we get Carly on board and Carly comes in, things will start to head in the right direction for us. And yeah we, yeah, we are just in a bit of a rebuilding phase at the moment. I'm deep in a, like Georgie knows, I'm deep in a cycling like yeah. absorption mode yeah. at the moment. So I'm going to be like I mean, keenly I, watching. Is the next step for Molly Latour uh, to yeah. Femmes? Femmes? Well, that's road race. I know, but like BMX. Oh, would you ever go into road racing? Why I know it's stop? a different, it's a different discipline, but, <laughs> but they're all different um, disciplines. I think what we've learned is that Molly is a cross coder. Well, I, I think you're right. Yeah. I would love to be able to do that. See? I think I'm a so I'm a sprinter. So obviously in track cycling, yeah. sprint endurance, I'm a sprinter. So I'm very short, sharp. You know, I'm not out there doing this is what I plus laps. this is what I find so interesting about the sprinters in the tour. I'm like you're yeah. not you're not you're not a true sprinter because <laughs> I was a sprinter as well. I'm like guys, you cannot race for like 180 kilometers and then sprint at the end and go. I'm a sprinter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sprinter. You're yeah, an endurance I athlete. <laughs> I know. I think the same thing. But yes, yeah. you're you're amazing. I'd be so yeah, cool. It's very different on the track. Very different. Um, we have completely different builds and train differently. And yeah, we're very lift a lot of weight. A lot of weightlifting. Yeah. Happens. Yeah, I'm your legs and your butt. Sorry, that yeah. sounds really weird. No, <laughs> so, but it's amazing. Like yeah. <laughs> the strength. Oh, so cool. So cool. I, for one, cannot wait to watch your journey over the next few years and to see what you're capable of, Molly. Like what where you've come from in the last 19 months is just extraordinary. So thank well, you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. My name is Henry, I'm nine years old and I like sport because it's fun. Libby, what on earth is going on at Swimming Australia? It's a good question. And I ask because I saw fleetingly in the news last week that Swimming Australia has been given 30 days to pull up their socks or they're going to get killed. They're not going to get killed. They're going to get killed. It's very dramatic. It's quite intense, isn't wow. it? Wow. <laughs> I really <Next>. escalated. <laughs> They're going to get kicked. Kicked, yes. Kicked out of world aquatics. And this is like, it's not like we're some, I don't know, struggling nation that doesn't know much about a sport and has, I don't know, warlords leading it. We're a sophisticated, yeah. capable society. You'd and think so. We are being threatened with expulsion. Well, to think that we literally topped the medal tally at the World Championships like just a few weeks ago. Our best performance ever. 
Ever as a team. Ever, ever, ever? Ever, ever, ever. Does that hurt you to say that? No. <laughs> Not even a little bit. It's hurting. Bitch. <sighs> we were really good too. <laughs> I feel like we started the legacy. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was before me. Even. Um, no, it's really weird. It's a really weird time in Swimming Australia and I, you can sort of, I don't know when this crack started to form, but I feel like it's been going for a really long time. Oh. But it just seems to be accelerating, which is the weird part. So a few months ago, Eugenie Buckley uh, resigned who was she? She was the former chief executive okay. of swimming. Okay. So rumours, you know, innuendo, there were, apparently there were power struggles. People weren't sure about how she was handling things. So she was removed. Steve Newman is now the acting chief executive. But Eugenie replaced Alex Bauman, so he was only in the role for three months. Oh, that's a short time. Yes. Uh, and then recently Tracy Stockwell, who was a former swimmer, yes, she was removed as president after just nine months in the position. Uh, she's now been replaced by Dr. Michelle Gallen. It just feels like a never-ending revolving door in the leadership roles in Swimming Australia. And I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'm fairly removed from, uh, I guess, that element of the sport. But for me, what I'm so impressed about is that the swimmers, the athletes, the ones who are putting themselves out there, who are doing all the work, continue to perform at the highest levels. But uh, the fact that World Aquatics has gotten involved, (laughs) like I don't know if that, that, I don't think I've ever heard of that happening the fact that they're involved the year out from the Olympics and the Paralympics just speaks volumes to me and uh, something needs to happen. So if we get kicked out of World Aquatics, my understanding is then that the Australian swimmers wouldn't be able to race under an Australian flag at any international meet. They would have to race under some sort of neutral flag. Cool. So we're basically the Russians now. Yeah. <laughs> Who have to do that because of doping reasons. Yeah. It's pretty <sighs> severe. And the, the some of the reading that I did, it had to do, there's a complexity in the way swimming in Australia is set up around the states and the national body. Mm. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. Yeah. So there are high performance centres in in and around Australia. The The main one is here in Queensland. And, yeah, it, it it's a really complicated system. We used to have the Australian Institute of Sport, which was kind of a, a main hub for performance training. For me, there have been issues since I was swimming. Oh, my God. When um, Alan Thompson was removed as head coach. Uh, and that was, gosh, I want to say 2011 maybe. It was only like the year out from from the Olympics. And the good thing I think for the athletes is they know what they need to focus on. They don't need to focus on what on earth is going on in that environment, in that leadership executive. But it it's just unnecessary. Like for, for the athletes who are trying and striving their hardest every single day to perform at that elite level, this is just stuff that they don't need to be worrying about. And hopefully Swimming Australia can, can get, their head screwed on because I, I, yeah, uh, it's disappointing to see that that is continuing to go on. 
My name is Katrina and I am a competitive woodchopper and I love sport because it gives me the opportunity to spend time with my family while doing an amazing physical activity that I love. <laughs> sport shows. Okay. <laughs> Are you laughing at yourself? I am. <laughs> and now it's time for Sports Shots. Are you going to go first? I will. Okay. Well, I, I feel like I should go first because mine's not particularly interesting, but I just want to mention F1 because I feel like we haven't mentioned F1 in a really long time. Poor F1. <laughs> so basically the summary of F1 Max Verstappen is winning everything. God, it's almost boring. We thought he had a baby. He, he didn't. He didn't actually have a baby. It's just the internet. Just the internet being internet, doing internet things. Doing its thing. And Daniel Ricciardo broke his hand. By crashing into Oscar Piastri. Or they crashed Missing. Off- no, no, no. He said, he, in his words, it was, I was either going to crash into Oscar or crash into the wall. He chose the wall. He chose the wall. God, it's just another reason to love Daniel Rick. We love Danny. Danny Rick. Danny Rick. I feel like he can't catch a break at the moment. Like he finally gets back into a seat. What, he raced one race? Yes. Yeah. And then breaks his hand and. Jason. Libby. <laughs> it's not a setback. It's just part of the comeback. <laughs> That's a quote from Daniel, actually. Oh, is it? But, yeah. oh, okay. Damn it, Georgie. I was quoting. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to palm it off as my own. Just so you know, that's not original. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Max wins everything. Danny Rick broke his hand. That's, that's his ninth, ninth win in a row. Oh, man. Wow. Like, yeah. it's boring now. It's Come, boring. I just, know. It's just, it, well, it was the same when Lewis Hamilton was doing it. Yeah, I like, like Lewis, though. I mean, not yeah. that I don't like Max, but. No, you just weren't into F1 when Lewis was winning. I mean, that's true. So you weren't born. <laughs> <laughs> My sport shorts. Yes. Is definitely riding the wave of women's soccer. Yes. And I am excited to tell you that if you are missing out on your soccer fix. I am. I thought you were. You can tune into Binge and watch three excellent episodes of Angel City FC. Ooh. It is so good. It's a bit sweary. So if you've got kids. I love me some swearies. I mean. <laughs> I'm yeah, fine. You're fine. My kids have heard everything. I'll let you, I'll let you listen. <laughs> but I don't know that I'd let my 10-year-old listen. Oh. My, oh, watch it, I should say. Maybe I would. Maybe I'd be like, you know. Being, there are some swears. There's some swears. Just, you know, be aware. Um, Not for kids. But it's just this beautiful story and, and I don't, beautiful might sound like it's soft and it, it's it's gritty. What they have done setting up that team, it honestly at points made me really emotional. It tapped back into that emotion I've been feeling all through the World Cup where all of a sudden I just want to cry because I couldn't believe what I was watching mm. and that is exactly what happened when I watched this documentary. I mean, on the face of it, you could think it's very much like Wrexham and the the docuseries that um, they did there with Ryan Reynolds and the other guy whose name we always forget. Rob McElhenney. Yes, that's him. So you, on the face of it, it's two soccer teams and they're going about their business trying to win a season. Mm. But for me watching that, it was about how do you build something from scratch when it comes to Angel City FC? How do you bring a community along? And to go from no supporters to like 20,000, 25,000 turning up at a game 
it's just, oh God, it's such an overused word, but it's so inspiring mm. to watch. Like these these supporters, they're getting on buses to go and watch the out of town matches. They've got babies. They've it's they've amazing. gone and met up in midweek and made signs. Like how do you create that energy around a team? For me, that's even better than the Wrexham because right. Wrexham had the diehard fans from yeah. the very beginning. Like there was already a community that supported this football club. Whereas it sounds like Angel City has created that from nothing. From scratch. And they've done it differently and they've sort of broken the system when they've done it and it's love it just so good so so good please like if you don't have a binge account just go and do one of those free subscription free trial just go and watch it yeah it's so it's so if you somehow still have foxtel you can get it there you can get it there (laughs) so just in case binge are listening uh we do want a sponsorship from you (laughs) We're not telling you. We're not telling everyone to just go and sign up for a free no, trial. Watch everything in there, they want to watch. See it. Like I have, I've opened up Binge and I've gone. Oh, Colin from Accounts. I really want to watch that. Oh, the Sex and the City reboot. Yes, I can do all this in seven days. I will days. be there for a month. <laughs> I can't do that, Jason. I have three children. Or, or, or you're like me and you sign up and I'll, I'm, I'll just do it for the seven days and then you forget. Yeah, and then it just ticks over. That's fine. That's a win. So Binge, yes, we're available. <laughs> it is. It also really shows so clearly the issues that women face when it comes to becoming professional. Like they can't get a field. They can't get regular training facilities. Mm. All those things. They can't get camera angles for their players on the field. That you wouldn't even think is an issue. Well, it's not. It's not an issue for for men's football teams. It's not. The money that our government, the Australian government, has put towards women's sport for facilities I mean, $200 million is a lot, but also it won't go very far. But you realise the importance of building facilities and building the infrastructure for women's sport because otherwise all the teams here in Australia, they're, go- they're getting to train on fields when the men aren't. Mm. They're getting to use the facilities when the men aren't. <laughs> I mean, that's no. so rubbish. Yeah. And we've never, I don't know, I've never questioned it before. I've just no. gone, oh, we can't because they're using it. Go and watch it. Go and be inspired. That wasn't a sports short. That was a sports long, but it was worth it. I maintain that I was allowed to do that because it was... Because women's sport. Because women's sport. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Sports Social. We so enjoy bringing you these episodes. And if you have a friend who you think would enjoy these sports chats, please share it with them and let them know about us. And we absolutely love receiving your feedback and your reviews. It totally lights us up. If you are enjoying this kind of sports content, head over to our Instagram page at the Sports Social Podcast. Otherwise, we will chat to you next week. Bye. Bye.